0: You remain standing with me as we read these words from Luke chapter 24 together. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We celebrate God's majesty on the mountaintops and draw upon God's strength in tragedy. But most of our life is spent somewhere in between the extremes. Our lives are filled with ordinary time, the day-to-day, and the in-between. How can we live our in-between lives filled with God's power and presence? How do we find God in our day-to-day situations? How do we meet God in the ordinary? Good morning, church. My name is Melissa Nelms. I'm the Director of Discipleship here. And all of our pastors are back, but I get to share the word with you this morning, and it is a great joy and a blessing to do so. I hope you all had a great holiday with your friends and family. We are continuing this morning in our Everyday Faith series. We're talking about the ordinary times, those times when God is present with us, even when we aren't fully aware of it. And in our first week, we talked about how God is with us even in our daily chores, in the housework, in the plunging of toilets, in the doing of dishes and mowing of lawns, that God is present and active and living in those moments with us. And then the following week, Rabbi Harris came and we talked about relationships, how God is present in our conversations and our dealings with one another, and God's grace is there and abundant there. And then last week, Pastor Brandon talked to us about those little breakdowns in life those moments when you've lost your keys and you lose your temper or you're late for work and then you get stuck in traffic as well and it's just a great day to be alive, but you forget that in the moment. And God is with us even in those moments of frustration and reminds us to stop and to breathe and to remember his presence. And this morning we move to the table, to our meal sharing, to our time together around the dinner table or the breakfast table or the Lord's table here and grace abounds there as well. And as I thought about this grace found at the table, an early childhood memory kind of floated into my mind, and I wanted to share a prayer that I learned as a kid. If you guys will indulge me this morning, if you'll join me in an attitude of prayer once again. Oh, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. Amen, 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 amen. Not what you're expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I know you're wondering why isn't Melissa up here leading us in worship every week. It's a real talent in front of us. And, um, but she, see, um, my mom was a children's director and a youth director and she was a lifelong Girl Scout and she took us to church camp every year and, and these sing song prayers, man, she had the biggest repertoire. It was unmatched by anyone else I've ever known. And so every meal, when we gathered together as a family, that's how we started our mealtime together was in these sing song prayers. And there were some of my best memories, my earliest memories of grace around the table. Beautiful, beautiful memories. And now that I've grown and I have my own family, um, I've got two children, five and two, Anna and Elijah, Andy and I try to practice this as well as we gather around the table as often as we can and, and we share our day together and we begin with a word of prayer. Every time. Sometimes it's Andy, sometimes it's me, but more often these days, it's my kids. Uh, They sing their little songs that they've learned at Children's Day Out or that we've taught them or that they've learned at Vacation Bible School, and they lead us in prayer. But we stop and we make sure before we eat any food on our plate, usually Elijah jumps the gun every once in a while, um, but we make sure that we stop and we pray together, even over donuts in the donut shop that we remember that God has provided this meal, that we are grateful for the food in front of us, that we are nourished by it. We say thanks for the people that provided the meal, who cooked the meal, for the ingredients that were in the meal, for wherever they came from around the world. And we say uh, thank you for uh, the time that we have together, and we remember those who have no food and no family to gather around and we pray wholeheartedly that it would give us strength and courage that we might be able to share what we have been blessed with with those around us that those that need it most those that have no food and no family and we're grateful we share that grace at the table, and it's a sacred moment. It's a very sacred moment um, until, of course, Elijah drops his fork or spills his milk or falls out of his chair or drags his elbow through his food and has to change his clothes right then and there, or he won't eat another bite, right? But it's sacred for a moment. And we remember. And then after we've prayed, Andy always asks this question. He says, what was the best part of your day? And then the four of us go around and we share what happened that day in our life. Whether it was something on recess, something at the lunch table, something at work around the uh, conference table in a meeting or something. More More often than not, the best part of my day is the meal that we're sharing together. Just that time. We're all busy, right? I mean, I grew up, I was the oldest of three kids. My life was busy. Our family's life was busy. Sometimes, you know, it was eight o'clock at night and we were gathered around the table eating fried chicken from Roy's Chicken in Kawita. And because my mom didn't have time to make a homemade meal, but we gathered and we gather now, even when there's not enough time, because it's important. And there's grace at the table. And I hear the stories from my kids and I hear their laughter and I see God there. I see God. Tish Harrison Warren uh, wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary that our sermon series is loosely based on. And she says this, Of all the things he could have chosen to be done in remembrance of him, Jesus chose a meal. Jesus chose a meal. And the question is, why a meal? Jesus could have chosen anything for us to do in remembrance of him anything he was jewish and there was rich jewish tradition in the festivals in the high holy days in the pilgrimages that they took and he could have chosen a day like that he could have picked a date on the calendar and said this is going to be the day that you're going to remember me and on this day you're going to do this thing you're going to say this prayer you're going to share in this liturgy you're going to eat this food and you're going to remember me but he didn't choose that he chose an ordinary meal chose an ordinary meal, and he gave very simple instructions, not this ordered, ritualistic liturgy. He said, take, eat, take, drink, every time you gather in remembrance of me, and that was it. And so that's what they did. On the last night of Jesus' life, he gathered with his friends, with his closest disciples, for one of the biggest Jewish festivals in their culture, for the most epic meal of the year. It was the Passover meal. And millions and millions of Jews would come together. They would pilgrimage together, and Jesus and his disciples were among those masses. And they would come to celebrate and to remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It was on that day every year that they celebrated and they remembered together. It was the most anticipated festival of the year, and people flocked. And Jesus and his disciples did the same. See, Scripture tells us that Jesus eagerly desired to share in the Passover meal with his disciples. We read in Luke that he said, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He had planned and prepared and paid special attention to all of the details of this meal that he might share it with his friends on this last night of his life, that they might have something to remember him by, something to sustain them, something to remember until they eat this feast at the heavenly banquet on the other side of eternity, on the other side of life, because he knew what was coming, and he didn't want them to forget him. He knew that just hours from then, he was going to give up his life. He was going to share grace with them that they'd never experienced before, and he wanted them to remember You see, the Passover meal is an ordered meal, like I said, with specific food and drinks that are consumed at specific times, with specific prayers and liturgies spoken. There's kind of a rhythm and a ritual to it all. And all the disciples would have known this, including Jesus. They're in their 30s. They've been doing it for 30 years since they were born. They knew the words. They knew the ritual. They knew the liturgy. And so they were celebrating this with one another, and Jesus does something. He breaks from tradition, and he changes the language, and he kind of throws them off their game. They're not expecting it. And he takes the bread and the wine that used to represent the body and blood of the sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed for one family for one year, and then they were going to do it again the next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. But he does something different. He says, this is my body. This is my blood that is broken and poured out for you as a sign of a new covenant. Something new, a new promise, something different, a new grace. Jesus chose common elements, bread and wine. For us, it's juice to represent his presence as a daily reminder it was something he knew they were going to do every day, multiple times a day, that the bread and the wine would be at the table, and every time they saw it, every time they partake, partake of it, they would remember him. And after that night, the disciples never saw the bread and wine in the same way. How could they? It had changed for them. They did. They remembered. That's what Jesus was hoping for. He wanted to be so much a part of their lives that every time they sat down at a meal together, they would remember they would remember his words of blessing, his teaching, his actions, his healing, his miraculous power that he had, his friendship. And we do this in our own lives. Maybe you had an empty seat at the table this week. I know we did. And maybe it's been there a short time or a long time, but something happens when you're sitting around the table and you start sharing stories and you start sharing memories and all of a sudden that seat doesn't feel so empty more, anymore it's almost like that person is there with you still. That presence is near you, and you feel it. And that's exactly what Christ wanted. He wanted us to feel him at the table, to see that grace around us, not to forget, but to remember. And it happens in the sharing of the stories and the eating of the meal and that's certainly what happened on the road to Emmaus, that story that we read together at the beginning. There were two men that were walking from Jerusalem. They'd just left the Passover feast. They'd seen their, what they thought was their Savior, their Messiah, crucified, and they thought all hope was lost. It wasn't what they thought. And they were grieving and they were mourning. Then They come upon another traveler, and he doesn't know the story He doesn't know what's happening, so they're sharing it with him as they walk down this road to Emmaus. And they get to the end of the road, and it's getting dark, and so they invite this traveler in, not knowing who he is, but they invite him in anyways to share a meal with them. And it's in the breaking of the bread that they see who it really is. In Luke, he says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. They recognized that traveler for who he really was. It was Jesus. And it wasn't until they broke bread with him that they realized it, that they remembered what he looked like, what he sounded like. And then he was gone. But they remembered Not only did Jesus bank on our remembrance out of just pure tradition and ritual, but even if we lost the tradition, he knew that we were hungry people, that we still had to eat every day. Because if you don't eat for a long period of time, you're not going to survive. You need sustenance. You need nourishment to keep you going. He knew the necessity of food in our human condition because he was human himself. He himself had been hungry. And our hunger reminds us of our humanity. Richard Wilk is an anthropology professor at the University of Indiana and he says this that learning how to eat is learning how to become human. That we become that we come into this world hungry. If you've ever been uh, with an infant in their first hours of life after they're uh, born, the first thing you notice is that they start rooting around. It's just part of their nature. They're looking for food. They're looking for mother's milk, for warmth, for comfort, for sustenance. They just naturally gravitate toward it. They're hungry. And we have that same nature. We have that same need It's our human condition to hunger, and our hunger not only reminds us just that our bellies are growling, especially if you forgot breakfast this morning as I did, but it reminds us of our vulnerability as well, that we are dependent upon someone else for our survival, not just the people around us, but our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ who came and died for us that we might have life and have it abundantly, and it's like that at the Lord's table as well that in participating in the Lord's Supper each week as we come and gather here in worship, that we are reminded of our great need for Christ, that we are reminded that it is through his sacrifice that we are sustained, that we are nourished, that we are filled up, that we are empowered to go out and share, and most importantly, that we are saved. Tish Harrison Warren, again in her book, says this, that the Eucharist, our gathered meal of thanksgiving for life, death, and resurrection of Christ, transforms each humble meal into a moment to recall that we receive all of life, from soup to salvation, by grace. It is by grace that we are saved, that we are nourished. And in our Methodist tradition, we practice what is known as an open table, We recognize communion as a means of grace, a free gift given to us by God and only by God. Therefore, the table is God's and not ours. It's not our gift to give, but God's. And so God welcomes all to the table. Maybe you have heard this every week. God welcomes all to the table who earnestly repent of their sin and come seeking him seeking a life change, seeking to follow him, to do things a little bit differently, to change the world. God welcomes all to the table. The table is wide and the table is open. Alice Julia uh, wrote a book called Eating Together. She's a foodie and she said, dining together radically shifts people's perspectives it reduces people's perceptions of inequality, and diners tend to view those of different races, genders, and socioeconomic backgrounds as more equal than they would in other social scenarios. That the Lord's table is an open table. It does not discriminate. God does not discriminate. When we kneel to receive the sacrament here at the altar rails. We not only kneel with one another from different backgrounds and different families and different belief systems, but we kneel with people all around the world. It's what unites us when we read the Apostles' Creed. We are kneeling at the altar for the sacri- to receive the sacrament with people of all nations and races. It's for all. D- God does not discriminate. And in fact, in one version of our communion liturgy, it actually says that because there is one loaf of bread, we are one body. We are made one in Christ, and in the taking of this gift, in the, sorry, in the receiving of this gift, that we are made one. And in the breaking of that bread, in the blessing of that bread, we too are broken and blessed. And we are to go out and share those pieces with the world around us to nourish the people around us to share the grace that we have received there, here, with those who need it most, those who have no food and no family. So when we share a meal, we are unified with Christ and one another. Um, this is Emily Simance. Um, you might recognize some of the goofy girls in the background too, but Emily is um, the oldest daughter of the Simons family, and uh, we get to talk about once a month via Skype and enjoy those conversation, conversations and catching up on life and what things are like in Turkey right now. And I was talking to her last week, and I was sharing with her what I was um, going to preach on, and I asked her, what is mealtime like in Turkey? What does meal sharing look like? And she shared a Turkish proverb with me that I wanted to share with you this morning. And it goes like this. If I invite you for tea, we're friends. If I invite you for food, we're family. See, there are seven nations gathered around that table in four different languages. And in the sharing of that meal in their home in Turkey, outside their norm, they are family Because they have shared a meal together. Not like family, not similar to it. They are family. They are united in the sharing and the breaking of the bread. It's like this all around the world. And it's like this here at the table. That when we share this meal together, we become family. We are united together. And we believe that in the sharing of this meal, it actually has the power to change lives, to convert us, to make us different that we might be empowered to go out and transform the world around us. It's in receiving the bread and the juice that we who are one in Christ are broken and blessed for the nourishment of others. And this is why it's so important that we actually do it every time we gather. This is why Jesus chose a simple meal, that it wasn't just a one-time thing on Sunday morning or on Easter or on Christmas, that we do it every time we gather. That's something that I love about this community, that three times a week, We gather Friday and twice on Sunday, and we we share in this holy sacrament together because it's important, because we have to remember. And then it extends to our kitchen tables and, and the restaurant at lunch with our friends. But it's important that we remember. It's a reminder of the grace that we've been given and refilling us through the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and share that grace with others. And for me, it's honestly the most meaningful part of our worship together. And I hope it is for you. Because we do this really well on special occasions. But this is the problem. It's really easy to do it on special occasions at Christmas, at Easter. You know, uh, on birthdays and celebrations, we hype it up. There's lots of anticipation. It's marked on the calendar in big red. You get all of the TV commercials reminding you of what's coming. You have mailers coming in the mailbox reminding you of the sales and the catalogs and all of the things leading up to Christmas or Easter or whatever it is. But we forget in the ordinary, everyday life the meaning that's behind it. And we forget to remember It's easy to remember uh, when there's a buildup, and there's time to prepare and anticipate, but that's not what Jesus chose for us. Jesus chose mealtime to be a time of sacred remembrance. But in the midst of our everyday life, we reduce something sacred to something ordinary. In fact, in American culture, we find statistics like these, that the average American eats one in every five meals in a car. Who ate a meal in a car this week on their way home for Thanksgiving? Yeah, we did a few times. Um, One in four Americans eats at least one fast food meal every day. We ate Chick-fil-A quite a bit before Thanksgiving because we didn't want to go grocery shopping (laughs) And the majority of American families report eating a single meal together less than five days a week. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's probably closer to two or three. At least it is in our family sometimes. But in our cultural, if these are our cultural norms, it means that most of our meals are eaten in isolation and on the run, right? That we are doing it by ourselves and we're doing it fast, And that's not what God wanted for us. We see that why we are so socially connected but so lonely at the same time, right? It's easy to see that as we're scarfing down leftovers over our desk each day. But in France... Not only is it not socially acceptable to eat alone, but it should never be hurried. So if you are going to eat alone, at least don't be rushed about it. So what employees in France do is they take a full hour for lunch, and they sit out on sidewalk cafes like this and enjoy the sunshine and conversation with coworkers and friends, and they enjoy it. How many of you uh, took a full hour for lunch in the last week or two? Oh, Deb, you're doing good. better than most, right? Most of us look like this, right? You run to the break room or the kitchen at work, and you're grabbing your leftovers, and you throw it in your microwave, and then you head back to your desk, and you're trying to squeeze in a few more emails or data entries just before the next meeting or the presentation or before your coworkers get back in the office, and it's hurried, and it's rushed, and it's by yourself, and there's no sacred moment there at all, and maybe some spilt crumbs in the keyboard, which is never good for anybody. So in France, you do it together, and you spend some time. In Mexico, uh, this is a picture of our family and my, my parents' Mexican family that they have created when they go on vacation. And there's four families speaking Spanish and English here, and we all enjoyed time, and I think it probably took us three or four hours to get through that meal, but it was sacred time. In Mexico, they join around the table in public spaces in the town square in the center of where life is happening so that they can partake together, so that they can share family time. Together around a meal, and it's it's sacred, it's important. And then in Cambodia, they actually lay out all these colorful blankets. It's kind of picnic style or potluck, and everybody brings a dish. And maybe you have flashbacks as a kid of family picnics or church um, potlucks, where everybody brings you know the jello salad and the chicken noodle casserole, and you enjoy that time together. It's good fellowship. It's good remembrance. There's stories and laughter there. But we forget and we get rushed, and we get hurried. So what if we began to see mealtime as sacred again? What if uh, we started thinking about our health? How would it affect our health if we started um, seeing our mealtime as sacred? How would it affect our relationships and our conversations with colleagues, with friends, with family, if we saw mealtime as sacred? How would it affect our work and our stress levels How would it affect our relationship with food itself? Something to be enjoyed and nourish us rather than something on the go that may be the worst thing for our bodies. There's a few action steps this week, and they're pretty simple. The first one is this to share a meal. Share a meal with a coworker. Go out to lunch with a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Have family dinner or donuts on the way to school. But share a meal, share a conversation. Share in prayer together and thank God for the blessings that you've been given, for the nourishment that you have that you might be able to share it with others. Take time to slow down. Take a full hour for lunch every once in a while. Take Deb's example. And then remember Christ's sacrifice and receive God's grace. Remember, not just when we get here at worship and kneel at this altar, but remember every time you share a meal. That Jesus is at the table no matter where you are, not just at this table. Luke says, Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So remember and receive that grace. And then, finally, invite someone new to the table. Because the table is wide and the table is open, and there is room for all at it. There is grace abounding everywhere, and we are called to share it. That was Christ's example for us, that he gave it freely. It's a gift, and we are to turn around and give it to someone else. So invite someone new to the table and say thanks. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the food that nourishes us, for the relationships that enrich our lives, for the sacred space that you've created around the table. God, help us to remember every time we gather, not just here, but in our homes, in the restaurants, at a friend's table, God, at the desk even, help us to remember that you are present, that you are in the very food we are eating, that it gives us life, it gives us sustenance, and we are dependent upon it, and we are dependent upon you. We thank you for the salvation and the grace that comes with it. God, I pray that you would open our eyes every time, that you would open our eyes wide as you did the men on the road to Emmaus, that we would see you at the table, that we would see your grace, that we would see your people, and that we might share it with others, that we would invite someone new to the table and remind us of how wide and how open it is.